Hi, this is Brian Choi, CEO of the Food Institute, and welcome to the Food Institute podcast. This week, we will be speaking with Winston Song, co-head of the consumer at Vestar Capital Partners on the topic of PE investment trends in the Better For You category. But before we get started, I'd like to ask all of our listeners today to share this episode within your networks. It's a huge help to us, and I want to thank everyone who's done so before. If you are new to the podcast, please follow, like, and share as it extends our reach, and we really appreciate it when you do so. Today's episode is brought to you by BHI Bank. BHI offers full commercial banking services that combine the personal attention and responsiveness of a prestigious boutique bank with the expertise and financial strength of a global bank. For more information, please visit www.bhiusa.com. With that said, I'll introduce Winston. How's it going today? Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me. So please share a little bit about your background, Winston, and about Vestor Capital. Yeah, sure. So um, I think, as you mentioned, I'm a partner on the consumer team at Vestar. I actually co-head, co-head up the group. Um, I've been with Vestar for 14 years and started my career investing in food, South Africa investment in bird's eye in the mid-2000s, and essentially I've been doing it ever since. You and I overlapped a long time ago as investment banking analysts, so you, you, uh, you go way back, we go way back. Um, I live in Brooklyn, which um, I think in my mind is kind of the, the capital of food innovation, or at the very least... Um, the capital of third wave coffee shops, which brings a lot of um, which brings a lot of interesting things to food, as you know. I've got a young family, and um, so 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 much of what I do actually stems from finding ways to, or finding better ways to feed our kids, um, and that's how we learn a lot about what's going on in the category. Because as you know, it's so easy to always just default and call, like call takeout or something like that. So, um, and then in terms of Vestar, we've been around for thirty years, um, and we're investing out of our seventh fund, uh, Vestar Seven which is a $1.1 billion fund. And um, we've been doing, you know, consumer is, is one of our, our core industries that we go to market with. Um, we've done, you know, call it 80, 90 investments in our 30 year history. And about half of those have been, you know, consumer and consumer related. A um, lot of familiar household names that people recognize like Birdside Foods, Del Monte Foods, uh, Big Heart Pet Brands. Uh, more recently, we invested in a company called Roland Foods, which sells primarily in a food service, but you might see a can of artichokes here and there at retail. Um, we're investing in a biscotti business called Noni's and then, um, you know, two pretty exciting high growth brands that we've done more recently, Simple Mills and Dr. Breakers. And, um, you know, I think the way we go to market or the goal of what we try to tell a lot of our founders and kind of families and management teams is that we, you know, our goal and consumers to really help them build better companies and transform them into strategic assets. And, um, you know, that's really centered on a couple of things. So we're, we're a heavily investment oriented firm. Um, you know, I think a lot of firms will come in and, and be incredibly thoughtful about, you know, how to structure the investment up front and what it's going to look like. And, you know, we know what are the terms of the equity or the debt going in. But, you know, where we like to focus more is what are the investments we can make in the company going forward. Um, so we'll look across all the different functional areas like marketing, new product development, um, sales, the supply chain, and make sure that the management team feels like they're adequately or overly resourced in all of those because those investments can really help drive growth. And then the other thing we do is we, we invest across the value chain. So it's not just brands, right? A lot of firms will, a lot of firms are, do a great job investing in brands and they've got a nice playbook to run. Um, but we've invested in a really nice ecosystem of assets like contract manufacturers, uh, raw material suppliers, distribution businesses. Um, we made an investment in IRI, which is a data and marketing services business because we know, we know data is incredibly important right now in consumer. Um, and those companies are all set up to really help emerging brands scale much more rapidly and much more quickly. Um, and we really put our portfolio to work to really help out our, our, our management teams. And the last thing I'd say is that we are 
incredibly focused on family and founder situations. That's part of the DNA of the firm. Um, that's something that our founders really, really believe in at Vestar. And, um, you know, that's, that takes sometimes a different mindset. Um, not all founders and families are, are the same. They all have different unique goals and different ways of working with each other. And, you know, so we really focus on listening, collaborating, kind of respecting the culture of success that's been built and finding ways to kind of work with these founders to really grow their business. And, you know, if you look in our portfolio today, we've got seven companies where we're the first outside or institutional capital that's been brought in. Some of these companies have been around for 70 or 90 years. So that's something that we're pretty proud of. Recently, it was announced that Vestar Capital acquired a majority stake in Dr. Prager's Sensible Foods. Dr. Prager's is one of the leading companies in the Better For You food industry segment. Please provide some of the background and context on Vestar's investment in Dr. Prager's. In particular, what attracted you and your firm to this specific company in the midst of the broader health and wellness category? Yeah, we're super excited about this investment. So it's um, happy to talk about it. But um you know, I think, like I mentioned, like so much of what I do is just based on, um, you know, kind of personal cons consumption habits of, of myself and others around the firm. And, um, you know, we've been, our family has been a kind of a Dr. Prager's consumer since my son first started eating solid foods back in 2015. Um, if uh, anyone else out there has small kids, I highly recommend the Littles product, um, you know, spinach, kale, sweet potato, pretty effective and convenient way to get your kids to eat vegetables. Um, but, you know, this is, it's a company that we've tracked for a long time. It's, um, you know, it's in Frozen and, um, you know, it's a veg vegetable forward brand. And we've had a lot of success with the companies like that, like in Birdseye and Del Monte. And it's, um, you know, it, it was a closely held family run business with the Pragers and the Sombergs. So it, it checked a lot of boxes in terms of what we're looking for. And we thought we could bring a lot to the table. And obviously with, um, you know, I think everyone understands and has heard the buzz about what's going on in plant-based at this point. Um, there's a ton of reasons why consumers are, are moving towards somewhat of a plant-based diet. So there's obviously the health benefits, mm -hmm. environmental concerns, you know, concerns around animal welfare. So there's a lot of different, there are a lot of different forces kind of driving consumers into the category. And, you know, at least the category is growing at retail pretty significantly, right? So in the frozen category with Prager's Place, it grew 50% this last year. In the refrigerated category where some of these other brands have, have really um, started playing, you know, in some retailers, the category tripled. So there's a ton of new households entering the category and you've got a lot of new brands. Uh, private label offerings are also pretty exciting too. Mm -hmm. Like the, the Trader Joe's um, protein patty is a pretty good execution as well. Um, but then, you know, as, as we look through it, we, we really like the category. And then we were thinking like, how do you parse through all this novelty, all this innovation? Where, how, where, where should we be investing? And a common thread of, you know, what we look at at Vestar is investing in brands that we, um, that we think are sustainable and enduring franchises and have really broad shoulders. And what we mean that, by that is brands that we think we can expand into new categories um, and really innovate behind. And, you know, there's a lot of new brands out there. Um, on the flip side, Dr. Prager's has been around since the early to mid 90s. And I think if you look at kind of what they're known for, they've got great tasting got nutritious products that execute really well. And they've got a really powerful veggie forward brand promise um, and a really loyal consumer base it, it, once you parse through a lot of the consumer data. Um, it's a great brand, but it's got, but at the same time, it's still, you know, it's a mid-sized brand. It's not a massive brand. It's got relatively low awareness and household penetration outside of kind of the coasts. And, but there do, consumers do love the product and keep coming back to it. So we think that's a pretty nice virtuous circle to really drive growth here once we make the right investments in marketing and product innovation and expanding distribution. You know, the company, the families have done a really good job building the business and, and it's our 
you know, it's, it's our goal here to really accelerate that and, and really take advantage of what's going on in the category. As you know, Winston, there are both large public and private heavyweight contenders in the plant-based industry category. As an investor, how do you view Dr. Prager's product portfolio in relation to these large competitors? Yeah, I think it's a couple things. Um, you know, certainly they've been around for a long time, um, and their products—their products—it all starts with product and food, as you know. And it, it, you know, taste and texture are king in the, in this category, and that's some of the most challenging things to solve when you're not, you know, when you're trying to do a meat alternative or you know even a black bean burger. And they've done a—they've done a really good job with that. Um, you know, I think the other other part of this is you know consumers are very health conscious. And if you, you know, really look at how Dr. Prager's innovates, their true north is always making sure that they're veggie forward. And so that means that our first ingredient on a lot of our products are is a vegetable. That's not always the case in a lot of in for a lot of the other kind of products that are out there. Um, but I think that really mean, does mean something to the consumers. So you've got you've got a, a better ingredient label, you've got great tasting products. And they've also been able to innovate across a number of different categories. Like I said, there's a lot of new people coming into the category here. Um, you've got, you know, vegans and vegetarians who have been consumers for a long time. Um, you've got kids, you've got flexitarians or reducitarians that are coming into the category. And we've got, they've, they've innovated a pretty exciting product line that can, that can kind of meet the consumer along, anywhere along their journey of kind of developing a more plant-based diet. Are you concerned by competition or by the plethora of new up-and-coming startups with similar products? Yeah, um, I mean, that's certainly something we've been tracking. And, and I think, you know, it's such a new category. It's gotten a lot of buzz here that there's plenty of space. And I think that it's one where the consumer trend or the rising tide of kind of consumer demand for these products are going to lift all boats. Um, you know, I think there's there's a lot of different places where Prager's plays or, or along kind of traditional veggie burgers and plant-based. And I think there's just tons of room here for growth across all of it. This is an area that retailers really believe in. Um, consumers are the consumers who are coming to coming to the store for these products typically are um, you know, typically our demographic that the that retailers want in their stores, you know, it's young families, it's skews female. These are the shoppers that spend more in the store and, 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 and obviously are incredibly loyal. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for a lot of different brands. Um, and there's, you know, I think the other great thing that's going on right now across, you know, us and a lot of our other competitors is also just kind of what's been going on on the food service side. Um, it's not been, you know, it's, you know, obviously the retail is always where a lot of people are focused, but food service and QSRs has been a great way to drive trial. And as people get more comfortable with, um, and understand that these products taste great, um, they're not like cardboard or mush or anything like that, but they really taste great. And it's something they want to incorporate in their diet. It's driving more people to the shelves as well. So right now I think it's a little bit of a land grab. And I think, um, you know, I think Products that execute well, that deliver on, on nutrition are, are going are gonna to do well. As a follow-up question, currently, plant-based represents only a small percentage of the overall market, whether you're talking about meat products, milk products, etc. What do you think is a steady state percentage of plant-based when you look out 5 to 10 years? Is it 5% of the market or 10%? Unclear exactly where it is. I think there's definitely a pretty high ceiling here. Um, you know, you look at what's going on in dairy and across dairy, or you look at, you know, what's been going on on, on, on the beverage side for dairy. Um, so it's not just kind of cheese or whatever else, but just like milk, milk alternatives as well. There's, there's a ton of upside here, right? And, and it's also just, in general, there's a better for there's a better for you element to this beyond just, you know, this is a meat alternative or whatever. So I think as, as people start incorporating this more in their diets, I think there, there's, there, there's an opportunity for pretty significant penetration here. Um, and, you're, and you have to remember, it's playing across categories too, right? You've got frozen, 
um, and you've got refrigerated as well. And, and probably at some point it'll go fresh. So there's, there's a ton of opportunity here and a lot of different channels to penetrate. So I think, you know, I think low single digits is, is, is just really low right now. And there's just a, a ton of upside. In October 2019, Vestar announced a minority stake in Simple Mills, a clean label baking mix and cracker brand. What was the thought process behind this particular investment? Yeah, so Simple Mills is pretty similar, right? Like I said, it's a lot of it is based on our own consumer usage, and it's a brand we've been following forever. And you know, chocolate muffin mixes was a great rainy day activity for for me and the kids when. Um, it's pretty. It was pretty easy to make. Kids like chocolate, so that was that was kind of my introduction to the brand. And um, you know, we've been tracking. We've been we've been tracking the performance of the brand since then. Um, it also helped that you know, Simple Mills was a client of Presence, which is one of our portfolio companies. Presence is a, a sales broker in the national organic space, and and really helpful when it comes to um, um, really helping brands grow in that space. And and I know they had a and and I know they had a, a tremendous amount of respect for Caitlin and what she did with the brand there. And you know, I, you know, one of the things we haven't talked about here is on the consumer side, especially in better for you food, authenticity really matters, right? And and that's what got us excited too. So Caitlin created Simple Mills not because she wanted to build a better for you food food brand in Behemoth, which she ultimately did very successfully, but she wanted to address a health need that she had. And there's like you know, there's plenty of articles out there that talk about you know Caitlin, the origin stories for Simple Mills, but you know she wasn't eating right with a busy schedule. She was on the road a lot, and she just wanted to make something better for herself. And ultimately she created, you know, baking mixes and then, you know, with a powerful innovation engine and, 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 you know, a really good team with her, they, you know, innovated into crackers and now they're the leading cracker in, in the better for you food space. And they've got an exciting cookie. They've got a bunch of exciting cookie offerings. They've gone into bars, but you know, we, when we met with the simple Mills team, we, we just thought the sky, the sky's the limit here. They, you know, one of the, brilliant things that that Caitlin did here was choosing the name, the brand name Simple Mills. And, you know, we think that brand name can carry into a number of different categories if that's where we want to go. Um, but between that and the, the, the performance of our products and how, how great they execute and taste and um, the white space opportunity and a bunch of different retailers, we just thought there was, there's a ton of opportunity there. So we were very fortunate that Caitlin chose to, chose us as, as a partner for her. And, um, you know, it's been, it's been a really, really great ride over the last year and a half. In hindsight, the Simple Meals investment was perfectly timed with COVID about to hit the world stage a few months later. Currently, with multiple vaccines already being distributed and folks returning back to, quote, normal life, are you concerned about the waning consumer's interest level in baking and stockpiling snacks? Please explain. Yeah, good question. That, that's a um, that's a question that we talk about all the time at our investment committee every Monday, not just specific to, to any categories that we play in, but you know, whenever we see Whenever we see a company now, you know that you know most of the most of the companies out there in food performed really well in 2020. It's like you know what is what is the normalized level of uh, you know s- revenue growth or, or sales or velocities or what 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 does that really look like? And you know some of them also had some pretty impressive margin growth as well. And you know I think ultimately none of us really know what the new normal is going to look like. Um, and that kind of uncertainty is really factoring into how we're strategically planning for our portfolio companies, right? So. You've obviously got, you know, optimistic views on the vaccination rollout and what that what that impact might be. But you've also got um, a more permanent work from home culture that might happen too. people. You know, I think in general, when you survey, when, when you do certain employee or employee surveys, you know, I think 80 percent of them are saying at least it's going to they're going to go to partial work weeks. And, you know, we, we definitely, you know, across our portfolio, a lot of companies benefited during the pandemic. And, you know, we we're bracing for 
a bullwhip effect. Um, and that kind of never really happened. And so, you know, the challenge that we're giving management teams today um, and what we're working with all of them on is you're way ahead on trial and household penetration than you probably thought you would be by the end of 2020. And how do you keep these consumers in your franchise? Like, how do you market to them? How do you continue to innovate and communicate with them? Um, and then how do you work with your retailers? So I think more than anything, COVID just kind of highlighted, you know, where people really need to be focusing for, the, for their portfolio companies and, and, and their operations, right? You got to show up your supply chain. You've got to, um, you got to make sure that you're selling in the right channels. I think companies that figured out e-commerce um, also were much more successful. Um, so that's where we're, we're placing a lot of bets as well. But, you know, I can't tell you where baking will be next year or the year after. I hope it stays, I hope it stays here. I think, you know. Um, at, at these elevated levels, and I hope there's a lot more growth. But um, you know, the other beautiful thing about Simple Mills is where we've got really exciting products across a number of categories. So I think that's uh, you know, baking is just a part of the story. In the health and wellness space, besides plant-based and clean ingredient snacks and baking mixes, what are some of the other major trends that you're focused on? Yeah, um, you know, I think certainly, you know, there's there's always a ton of diet trends that that come and go. Um, you know, one that we are spending a lot of time on is um, no low sugar. There's been a ton of interesting opportunities that are out there. I think there's been also been some pretty interesting investments that others have made more recently in the space. And you know, obviously, and when you look through a lot of the different diets that have that have come, that's you know taking, sh and you know some of them have been in fad, others have not, and they've they've really. Um, you know, some of them are in vogue and we're really trying to avoid fads. But when you parse through a lot of the different um, diets, you know, cutting sugar out is a core part of almost all of them. So that's something that we, um, you know, that we're, we are spending a lot of time on. Um, but we're also spending a lot of time on consumer behavior trends, right? Like, so snacking at home is up significantly um, during the pandemic. We think that can probably keep, that can probably keep going. So, you know, we've got companies that play in that space and, you know, there's plenty of other interesting opportunities that are coming. Um, millennial household formation is still a, a, a big, um, you know, big macro trend. And, you know, there's certain categories that generally benefit from that. Obviously, obviously baby and juvenile, but we're also frozen is typically a category that millennial households, uh, you know, purchase frequently. We've, we've got our bet in frozen, but we're always looking for more. And we're spending a lot of time on pet. Um, you know, you just look at kind of pet adoption rates or pet ownership rates and how much that, that accelerated during COVID. Um, my kids weren't allowed to get pets, but they've been clamoring for one. Um, but it's um, it's one it's a space we know pretty well from our time at Big Heart. And there's um, you know between that and just global growth and, and pet food, you look like the Chinese market's growing like 25, 30 percent a year. It's a massive market. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. And um, probably the last one I'd highlight is just ESG matters, right? So we're looking for brands that uh, um, you know that do promote um, ESG in some way, shape, or form. It's very clear that consumers are are demanding this with their wallets, and they're they're gravitating towards brands that you know promote sustainability either through their supply chain or packaging, or promote diversity. So you know minority or female-owned brands are, are are getting are are getting more attention from consumers as well and, and retailers as they should. Um, so we are focused there as well. And our last question: How has COVID changed your outlook on the food industry, if at all? How has your perception of risk and reward changed as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, I think the one thing that um, that COVID demonstrated to us about the food industry, particularly food at home consumption, is just how resilient it is, right? I think people were pretty concerned early on, and you know, obviously the supply chain, um, there's always work to do on there to make it safer for for the folks that are coming in and out of the plants, and 
you know, we've, we've, we've made sure or we've done our best across our portfolio, especially those that, that, that own our own manufacturing to really try to take care of our, take care of our employees there. And then I think our management teams have done a great job, but, you know, if you look across kind of just public valuations for, for kind of the big food companies out there, they're up, you know, 25, 25% plus um, since kind of the, the height of the pandemic. Right. So that, that just demonstrates kind of how investors are really thinking about food and thinking about it as a bellwether. So, you know, I'm not quite sure my perspective on, on risk reward has really changed. There's obviously different pockets that have done better than others. So obviously, you know, away from food consumption has been more challenged. Um, it is a matter of time probably before that comes back. Um, you know, categories like bars, which were kind of on fire for a long time, and a lot of people had a lot of success investing in bars, as did we with Hearthside Foods. This past year, not so much because people have stopped eating on the go. But I do think convenience and eating on the go is probably still a trend for the long term that will be um, that will that will certainly be durable. Um, so there is there's certainly a ton of opportunity there, um, and I think our perspective here is always you know not really thinking more so on, on just the, you know ab what absolute valuations look like, but just making sure that we're thematically investing behind categories and opportunities where we've, where we've got a lot of conviction. Um, I think the other thing that COVID has really highlighted, and we, we talked about it a little bit, is just, you know, certain aspects of the business model is just going to change, right? So, you know, e-commerce penetration and kind of um, has is way ahead of where we thought it was going to be. I think we're at like 2024 forecasted levels versus kind of where we thought we would be at the end of 2020 or 2021. And, you know, Instacart and Walmart.com and all these all these apps got a ton of like basically doubled in downloads this past year so understand having our, our brands and our companies really understand how to play there is going to be important. Um, you know, there's for a lot of these new brands, you know, they people, they people used to lean on demos a lot, right? But demos are obviously going to be a little bit different in the post COVID world. And, you know, you're gonna have to think through other ways to drive trial. Um, I don't have all the answers to that, but we're, that's something we're totally focused on. Um, and then obviously, we talked about supply chain questions, right? But um, in terms of just, you know, do you outsource? Do you own your own manufacturing? How do you keep your employees safe? And how do you make sure that you you have enough capacity to to really service these uh, these retailers that, that that are more and more demanding in terms of OTIP rates? Um, you know, Costco is a very you know or, ordered in bulk for a lot of big brands, and you know that strained the supply chain. But they were very good partners to a lot of our portfolio companies at the end, and we're understanding so. You know, those are just some of the challenges that these companies faced. And, you know, I think um, and those are questions and strategic goals that or initiatives that our, our management teams are going to need to look at going forward. But again, when you just look at where companies are trading and, and how they performed, I think, you know, I think people's perspective here has always been, you know, food, you know, food and consumer in general is a staple and it's going to and it's going to perform well, regardless of what's going on in the world. So that about wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. I'd like to thank Winston for spending time with us today and also BHI for sponsoring this episode. Remember, if you're new to the Food Institute podcast, please follow, like, and share. If you'd like to learn more about BHI, please take a look at the links in our description. Until next time, this is Brian Choi signing off. Mm -hmm.